So hello everyone and welcome to today's episode here on the Sordid Skeptics. Today we're going to be talking about self-esteem and its six pillars. I'm your host Shredder Steve and I'm here in a studio in stereo with my co-host Timmy. Hey guys, thanks for joining us. So you all set for a good episode today? Of course. Right on, we're up to uh, episode five so this is actually going to allow us to get on Spotify which I'm pretty psyched about. So if you're joining us there, welcome. Uh, so for today's uh, topic on self-esteem, let's dive right in. Okay. So, self-esteem is an essential part of mental health that is not talked about very often. Hearing the term self-esteem, we may have a vague notion that it means something along the lines of having a positive view of yourself or possessing confidence. While those ideas may fit into the overall picture, as we go through the episode, you'll quickly begin to notice that the the concept is much more deeper and nuanced. Growing up in the Ontario public school system, we didn't learn much about psychology in general or how to build our self-esteem. While it may be the case that certain teachers assisted in making us feel like competent individuals by encouraging and cultivating our abilities, I still feel that at least a lesson or unit on this subject would have greatly helped many of us who struggled with low self-esteem, especially in our teenage years. Um, Now let's take a look at what what it is and what isn't self-esteem. The following material is drawn from Nathaniel Brandon's book, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. All right, so before we uh, we dive in here, I just want to give a quick shout out to our uh, our sponsor. Are you sick of petting your cat? Do you wish there was some way you could save time and money on this tiresome exercise? Well, good news. Introducing the Pet Petter, a revolutionary, a revolutionary new way to bond with your pet through the magic of technology. Simply plug it in and watch in amazement as your cat or dog receives up to 85 ppm, that's pets per minute, of loving affection. Think that's amazing? The Pet Petter's industry-leading patent-pending combs adjust to four different hair lengths and speeds and are clinically proven not to terrify your pet. Order now and receive not one, but two devices so that both of your pets can receive love in style. Don't be a bedwetter, be a better petter with the Pet Petter. These claims have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not designed to diagnose, treat, or cure any illness. Shipping and handling extra, batteries not included. All right, all right. moving right on. Thank you for that, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. Well, only the best products here on the Sorted Skeptics. <laughs> so, first up, let's talk a little bit about the illusion of self-esteem. So, when our self-esteem is low, we're often shaped by fear. A fear of reality to which we feel defective in navigating. A fear of facts about ourselves or others that we've denied, disowned, or repressed. Similar to the concept of the shadow that we investigated in our last episode. A fear of humiliation tied to failure. Low self-esteem is also expressed in the form of feeling hopeless to understand the crucial aspects of reality that we need to deal with. The first step in raising our self-esteem are difficult because we're... uh, asked to raise our level of consciousness in the face of emotional resistance, and this can definitely be one of our most challenging tasks. The danger of low self-esteem is that we become prisoners of our negative self-image. We allow it to dictate our actions. We define ourselves as average, weak, cowardly, or ineffective, and our performance will reflect this definition. We may face the problems of life with an attitude of, who am I to know, or who am I to judge, or who am I to decide? So let's talk about uh, some examples in your own life about where you've asked yourself these, uh, these questions. What do you think? Yeah, so I think for me the first thing that came to mind was that when I applied for my, first, my current job that I, that I do right now, which is uh, essentially vehicle photography and okay. merchandising. And uh, when I heard about the job, I didn't know 
much about professional photography or that much about cars. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you, I kind of asked myself, who am I to, you know, apply for that? But at the same time, I was willing to learn and I was really desperate for a job <laughs> and the structure that that, 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 would, that would come with that. Definitely. So the, the job seemed interesting enough. And I figured, you know, if I showed enough enthusiasm and applied for it, you know, it would it would work out. And I've been there for about four and a half years now. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to really um, cope with that imposter syndrome. syndrome yeah, so. yeah. And believe that that you can that you can do it essentially even though you might not know everything about it or have all the experience mm -hmm. um it's um yeah it does have to do with i think a belief in yourself and that you can learn and adapt yeah it, it seems pretty rare that we'd ever be 100 percent prepared for those kind of circumstances right. you know as much as we are sort of taught that it's like okay well you just go through public school then you go to university and then you'll be 100 percent prepared for the job market on the other end and then yeah. when you come out the other side with thousands of dollars in debt and realize that uh <laughs> yeah we're not in any way prepared for <laughs> for yeah. half of the jobs that are out there so uh for me i think the uh like even this podcast like the name of the podcast is sort of a tongue-in-cheek reference to this very concept uh it's spelled out sorted s-o-r-d-i-d -D, to sort of reflect that uh you know we're in no way qualified <laughs> <laughs> to give people advice or any of this kind of stuff and we're just trying to work through the same uh, same problems as anywhere else and it helps keep us grounded in the conscious awareness of our own ignorance to prevent us falling in love with the products of our intellect and reasoning because uh, i know sometimes if uh people can take their intellectual products a little bit too seriously it can uh it can definitely interfere with the uh the goal mm. and, but, I and i think sorry i just think on the flip side too like i don't think we do this podcast if we didn't have if we didn't think we had something valuable to say exactly. at the same time. So I think there's kind of a balance there. Yeah, definitely. Like if, you know. if we didn't think that there was any value in this, we wouldn't do it because it not only would be a waste of your time, but it would definitely be a waste of our time as well. But uh, yeah. I, I think we have uh, an imperative to kind of speak up and spread this knowledge because I mean, for a while, I think before we did this, it was very easy for me to just sort of think, well, you know, everything I know, everybody else knows, you know, it's common knowledge, right? And then you talk to a few people and you're like, no, people have no idea what any of these concepts are. And it's like, okay, well, maybe I was just far too in my own head and projecting mm. myself onto the world a little bit too much. So, you know, what, what, what do we got to lose? Let's at least throw it out there and, uh, you know, people will either listen or they won't and uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Why huh? not, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not something to do. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's basically like a, a freely available Gutenberg printing press that we've uh, come across here on the internet where the spoken word now has the same reach and duration as the written word. You know, yeah. and I think that's uh, that's very important because... You know, it used to be that if you wanted to get these messages out, you'd have to write a book or something like that and then make multiple copies of it and send it all over the world. But now it's, you know, we could just throw this up there and uh, whoever has an yeah. internet connection can tune in. Yeah, you can learn something on your daily commute. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that, and that was the big thing about why podcasts are so interesting and important is because it's found time, right? If you're, uh, if you're doing the dishes or you're driving to work or you're bike riding or doing all these other things that normally you would have to spend, you know, all of your cognitive abilities trying to focus on, uh, now you can throw this on in the background and rather than listening to music, you can, uh, you can learn some stuff. So, I mean, I, I commute for about 10 hours a week, so that's 10 hours a week that I can be listening yeah. to podcasts, learning some new things, and it's been life-changing for me. So Same I figured, here. yeah, I figured, you know, if, if we have this information, maybe we can use it to, to help other people as well. So, uh, moving right along here, many people fool themselves into pursuing fake kinds of self-esteem. 
And I think this is one of the big problems with the whole self-esteem movement that's been going on since uh, probably the late 80s, early 90s that we've kind of grown up with our whole lives. Uh, instead of seeking it through consciousness, responsibility, and integrity, we may seek it through popularity, status, material gains, or sexual escapades. Or also those likes, hearts, retweets, and all that other shit they have on social media these days that we derive our self-esteem from, right? Exactly. Uh, instead of uh, valuing personal authenticity, we may value belonging to the proper clubs, the right church, or political party. Instead of practicing appropriate self-assertion, we may have unquestioning conformity to a particular group. Instead of seeking self-respect through honesty, we seek it through philanthropy, as in, I must be a good person, I do good works. Instead of striving for the power of competence, i.e. the ability to achieve genuine values, we may pursue power in dominating or manipulating others. The possibilities of self-deception are endless. Now, uh, there's a couple of things that I want to touch on here that are very important. First one being a term you guys have probably heard kicked around on the web a lot these days called virtue signaling. And this is the idea that you're a virtuous person because you espouse a particular ideology and your, uh, your words are more important than your actions, which is complete nonsense. It's sort of like saying, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. As long as I espouse the right beliefs, then that must mean I'm a good person. And it's often used as a way of clubbing other people and trying to climb up that dominance hierarchy mm. of virtue. I sort of saying, well, you know, I have all the right beliefs, so I must be uh, a good person. Yeah, it just seems there's not much substance behind it. Like, yeah. sometimes words are, are just words, right? And yeah. they yeah. don't really. <laughs> it just depends on... What really matters to me is how you act in the world, and that's what really kind of reflects your character and what kind of person you are and what you believe. Yeah, and, essentially. I, and I think now with, uh, with things like social media, it seems very easy for people to just sort of put these opinions out there and then assume that they're doing good in the world where they're not really doing anything at all. They're just sitting on the can, thumbing into their phone and yeah. make, assuming that makes them a good person and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so that kind of filters into the pseudo self-esteem. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. And the next one is the Oppression Olympics. This is another one that's uh, kicked around a lot and it's basically trying to establish a virtuous persona or one of these masks we wear in the world by competing for victim status often at the expense of actual victims and manipulating your way up the dominance hierarchy because you know let's let's be clear there are a lot of people in the world that have some really serious problems mm -hmm. and the people that try to espouse their own victimhood often do so at the expense of these people and it's uh it's pretty pathological behavior in my opinion mm. yeah i think Part of the problem, too, is when you make that a big part of your identity and, I guess, your, you know, reality. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it, gets, you... it gets addictive. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Molly, yeah. you had a really good uh, short podcast on this uh, this recently where people be kind of kind of become addicted to that dopamine rush of attention that they mm -hmm. get. And mm -hmm. like you said, it, it becomes a part of your, who you are. And I think that's, that's a pretty sad state of affairs. You know what I mean? Where it's my whole, you know, like self-worth is tied up in being a victim like come on yeah man, that, that can't be good for you and i think at the core of it yeah these are pretty you know i guess wounded people that yeah. haven't really figured out a way out of how to break out of that i guess sort of cycle in a way and uh it would be worth looking like more <laughs> deeply into that too at yeah some and i think and, and given that the purpose of this podcast is to help save western civilization from itself i think this is going to be a huge target and probably deserves its mm. own episode because i think there are people that uh everyone likes to belong to groups like we were talking about a little bit earlier and i think when you have victim groups where it's sort of like saying well i'm gonna move my way up this group hierarchy by being more of a victim than everyone else yet still feeling bound to everybody else 
because of the victim status that I espouse. Mm. So not only would taking personal responsibility directly interfere with their status in the group, I mean, it would directly interfere with their membership in that group, right? Of course. And then, and then what are they, right? You know, when you're 95% dead wood, you stay away from matches. You know what I mean? Because you don't want to have anything to do with yeah. burning off that part of your personality because it's such a huge part of it. But uh, I'm hoping by the end of this episode, we'll give you guys uh, a few of these pillars so that if you find yourself stuck in this mire of victimhood, that you'll be able to pull yourself out of it, help yourself so that you can then go on to help other people. So now we're going to ask, what is self-esteem? So self-esteem is an intimate experience that resides in the core of one's being. It is what I think and feel about myself, not what someone else feels or thinks about me. This can be illustrated when everyone around loves us, but we don't love ourselves. I can be admired by my associates by the view of myself as worthless. I can project an image of confidence that fools almost everyone and yet secretly shudder with a sense of my own shortcomings. To achieve success without attaining a positive sense of self-esteem is to essentially be doomed to feeling like an imposter anxiously awaiting exposure. And this touches on a little bit of what we were talking about before with this imposter syndrome, where, you know, the whole fake it till you make it thing eventually can kind of get to you because you start to feel like you're, you know, faking your way through life. Mm, I always had a problem with that. Yeah. That phrase, (laughs) essentially, because it just... It seems inherently deceitful. Yeah, it does. It feels fake. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> it's, it's right there in the title. You know what I mean? And yeah. and by the time that you know, from the outside, it may look like you've made made it, so to speak. I mean, you could still be faking it. So I don't really know how mm. you really you really get out of that. But the other mm. thing I wanted to touch on here was the fear of success, which is uh, almost as bad as the fear of failure. It's just one of these things that holds you back. Um, and I know I, I suffer from this a lot because I, I think like, okay, well, what if we do this and it ends up getting really, you know, popular and big? Like, how much more responsibility am I going to have to take on? How many things do I yeah. have to cut out of my life to make room for this? You know what yeah, I mean? How so, much more complicated could yeah, it make things, I guess? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that kind of pulled me out of doing gaming videos as well because I started thinking like, okay, well, what if I get really successful at this? what is my life going to become? Just mm. playing video games professionally so that I can do reviews of video games? And it's like, no, this is something I just do to chill out and relax. I don't want to make money from it. I mean, mm. could you imagine if your entire income was based on something like that? And then what happens when you get sick of it? Like, uh-oh. Right, yeah, what uh, then? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll, uh, you know, try to get another job and explain to the future employer that, okay, yeah, I just sort of dicked around and played video games and made YouTube videos for the past few years. I'm sure that'll go over really well. I mean, I don't know how accurate that is. That's just sort of what was running through my head as I was sort of winding that down a little bit. possible scenario, right. And and it's also, I think I I was doing it also just to kind of practice with the medium, you know, just fool around with it a little bit, see what what kind of results I could get out of it. I got the results I wanted and said, okay, I've learned from it. Let's, you know, actually try to do something that brings value to people rather than distraction. Yeah, well, you know? and I think in a sense it shows you that, you know, you're doing something on your own independently. You're working, like, to produce something mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, learn to learn something. So it could be seen, like, as a potentially positive thing. Yeah. I've heard from other, like, YouTubers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, it's uh, yeah. you know, some people appreciate creativity more than others, but uh, I'm not sure if it's something I'd be willing to bet my livelihood on. Anymore. Yeah, right. You know? For sure. So the, uh, the tragedy of many people's lives is that they search for self-esteem externally, in every direction instead of within. So they 
fail in their search. Positive self-esteem can be best understood as a spiritual accomplishment, a victory in the evolution of our self-consciousness. When we look at it as th uh, in this way, we can stop telling ourselves, if I only get one more promotion, if I can only get, uh, you know, become a husband or a father, or if only I can be perceived as a good provider, or get a bigger car or a bigger house, if only I can write one more book and acquire another company or lover or reward, one more act of selfishness perhaps, then, <laughs> and only then, may I be at peace with myself. Uh, thus, the ultimate source of self-esteem is and can only be internal in what we do, not what others do. And we look for it in the externals, the actions or responses of others, we're basically asking for disaster. Now, this is something that I, I have experienced all the time. I mean, one promotion was never enough. Getting a new job, a new car, moving out for the first time, or buying my first home, like, it, it was never enough to get rid of this pervasive sense of failure I've had in my whole life. Uh, and it just sort of causes this nihilistic downward spiral of if these milestones aren't making me happy, then what's the point of striving for anything? You know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I mean, I could consciously recognize that's a pretty destructive line of thinking. But uh, I mean, does that make sense that, you know, once you, I guess you're not getting the validation externally, you start to question the purpose of seeking anything external? Yeah, well, I guess it just turns out that it becomes an, a never ending thing, right? It just seems, you know, when when can I finally <laughs> be at peace at my peace with myself like you like you asked yeah. so um so the essential idea is not depending too much on external things now it doesn't mean that we don't aim for we have that we don't have goals or that yeah. we aim for things but i guess the idea is is that we don't make our happiness depend solely on our those other things that may or may not be fully in our control exactly yeah so right? you gotta the happiness has to come from within the meaning has to be generated from within i mean externals are nice but if, yeah. they're, if they're the sole focus of your being then uh you're kind of asking and for trouble i think there's so many things that we do ourselves that we overlook that are things that help build our self-esteem and that should be recognized like mm. there are certain Certain acts that we do, um, like by ourselves, that don't depend on those external things, and that's what I kind of find found out as I read this book is that I'm already doing some things my, by myself that that do display high self esteem mm. in terms of like seeking knowledge, let's say, or trying to increase my consciousness in terms of how I deal with people. Mm -hmm. Like things like those are actually pretty key for self esteem, and that's what I discovered. Yeah, as I was researching this topic so yeah. it's things like that too. so maybe we're not quite as messed up as we try to convince ourselves we are yes yeah uh, how about that yeah yeah it's a good place to start you know what i mean so yeah um a common theme so we'll start with the first pillar which is the practice of um acting or living consciously so what's interesting is that a common theme throughout many of the great spiritual and philosophical traditions is the idea that most people live their lives unconsciously or unaware, as if they're sleepwalking through their existence, unaware of themselves and the many facets of reality. Thus, enlightenment and progress are similar to waking up and an expansion of consciousness. Consciousness is very important because it is our basic tool for survival, because when we are aware of what's happening in our environment, it allows us to act properly within it or orient ourselves. So in this context, consciousness means to be aware of some aspect of reality. We have the choice of seeking awareness or actively avoiding it. 
of seeking truth or not bothering, of focusing our mind or choosing to drop to a lower level of consciousness, essentially we have the choice to evolve or self-sabotage our means of survival and well-being. We have this incredible but difficult capacity of self-management. So some of the ways we could avoid consciousness or reduce it to some degree might be through the numbing effects of drug abuse or the distractions of video games and pornography. Anything to take us out of reality and place us in one, perhaps, that we feel a little bit more in control of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've heard of, I hear of, you know, some people who play games for, like, you know, <laughs> hours and hours and hours on end. And um, it can be a way, yeah, to escape some of the more important problems um, as well and just yeah kind of push it off to the side in a way but um but yeah i mean i'm not saying you know don't fully cut that off or whatever i think we do need breaks and you know some distractions here or there or else you yeah. know we might kind of you know and uh, yeah and that's yeah. what i think i think uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with them but like anything that's enjoyable if it's taken to that pathological degree it, it can become destructive. And it's not to say that the thing itself is destructive. It's the fact that there's an opportunity cost associated with everything. And if you're spending 10 to 14 to 16 hours a day on one thing, that thing, unless, you know, it's generating a lot of, you know, positive value, meaning revenue in your life, yeah. then, you know, that's one thing. But if you're just doing it and you're not getting anything out of it, that's something completely different. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if we don't bring the appropriate level of consciousness to our life in, in the ways that we act in the world, we will eventually suffer from a diminished sense of self-esteem and self-respect. It's very difficult to feel competent and worthy under a mental fog since our mind is our basic tool for survival. The most fundamental form of betrayal is the avoidance of demoralizing facts, which can happen uh, with things like, you know, I know there are signs that our business is falling into worse and worse trouble, but what we've done in the past worked, so, you know, let's keep doing that. Or, uh, this whole subject is upsetting, and, you know, maybe if I just sit tight, the situation will just resolve itself somehow. You know, the, the budget will just balance itself, damn it. <laughs> uh, or, you know, what do you mean I drink too much? I can stop any time I want, you know? Mm -hmm. Once you hear yourself saying that, it's like, uh... Yeah. It's not, not a great situation. So the many choices we make like being responsible towards reality or not, are added up and stored deep into our psyche, which builds up to a sense of the kind of person we are. The sum of this experience is self-esteem, which is defined as the reputation we acquire with ourselves. Yeah, and that's something that I think we're going to have to keep coming back to, the reputation that we acquire with ourselves. So that's, uh, mm. that's really the crux of the issue here. So living consciously means respecting the facts of reality, which includes the fact of our inner world including our needs, wants, emotions, as well as those of the external world. This, of course, is in contrast to an attitude that disrespects and disregards reality in the form of something like, if I don't see it or acknowledge it, it doesn't exist. So living consciously also means living responsibly towards reality. We don't have uh, to necessarily like what we see, but we can still recognize it instead of denying it. So wishes or fears or denial, they don't really alter facts. For example, if I desire a new outfit, but I need to pay rent, my desire does not magically transform reality to make the suit a rational purchase. Therefore, when we live consciously, we do not confuse the subjective with the objective. We don't think that our feelings are the perfect guides to truth. Although we can learn from our feelings, 
and they may lead us to some important facts, we also need reason, reflection, and reality testing in order to use our emotions effectively. So let's talk about some specific ways we can live consciously. So first one is having an act of mind. Primary act of self-assertion, which is the choice to think, seek awareness, understanding, knowledge, and clarity. So this implies self-responsibility, which we will talk about later in the episode. And so the opposite of that would be having a passive mind, allowing other people, institutions, or worse, ideologies to do the thinking for you. Yeah, so you definitely don't want to fall down that uh, that rabbit hole because, again, allowing other yeah. people to do the thinking for you, it's, uh, it's not going to lead to a good result. Yeah, and that's the thing. We have, as humans, we have autonomy, and it's important to just... To know what it is you want, I guess, mm -hmm. kind of at the, the core of your being and what your what your needs are, right? And away from what your parents or your siblings or your friends, you know, might encourage or whatever. It's, it is, you know, important to... Um, Think for yourself. Yeah, essentially do that, yeah. So, distinguish among facts, interpretations, and emotions. For example, if I were to see you frowning, I might interpret this as meaning you're angry with me. I might feel hurt or defensive. In reality, I just may be correct or incorrect in my interpretation. The feeling that I respond with may be appropriate or inappropriate. If I'm not conscious of the separate processes that are involved, I tend to treat my feelings as the voice of reality, which can lead to catastrophe. Now, the uh, phrase I love about the, uh, to reflect this is feels over reels. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, people that basically say, well, I'm offended, therefore you're wrong. It's like, what? what, what? <laughs> no, that's not really the way it works. So insisting yeah. that one's emotional interpretation is tantamount to fact, well, it's tantamount to disaster as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and this is, again, distinguishing the subjective from the objective. Yeah, exactly. Um, so next is being receptive to new knowledge and willing to re-examine old beliefs. So if we are firm on what we already believe and know while remaining uninterested or closed to new information that may go against our convictions, this can impede our own growth. We're not saying hold everything you think in doubt, but cultivate an openness to new experience and knowledge because new adjustments and improvements in our understanding are always possible. Sometimes our assumptions are mistaken and require revision. And to me, this just links to how life itself is just an ongoing learning journey, essentially. And it's kind of what Peterson talks about when he says, listen to the person, listen to the other person as if they have something important to tell you. Yeah, as if they know something you don't, right? Because if, yeah. if you don't fall that way, and I think this, this will probably have to do with uh, your temperamental proclivity for openness, which is just one of the, the big five personality traits. If, you're, if you rank pretty low in openness... Uh, I mean, it'll help you stick to your guns, but if your guns are wrong, or I suppose unloaded, right? we're going to follow that metaphor, <laughs> then uh, you're going to want to make a change in that. And if you if you know that you're not temperamentally a very open person, this is something that you probably want to keep in check. So if someone, or especially if multiple people are giving you a bunch of new information, it might be worth investigating that a little bit because it might be time to update some of those old beliefs to be more congruent with reality. Mm -hmm. Just in the end, it'll it'll help you and update your own knowledge, essentially. Mm -hmm. Now, we also want to have a concern uh, to know internal needs, including your own feelings, aspirations, and motives. The intention of self-evaluation comes in the form of questions such as, do I know what I'm feeling at any particular moment? Do I recognize the impulses from which my actions spring? 
Do I notice if my feelings and actions are congruent? Do I know what needs or desires I may be trying to satisfy? Do I know what I actually want in particular encounters with another person? Not what I think I should want. Do I know what my life is about? Is there a program I'm living? One that I accepted uncritically from others? Or is it genuinely of my own choosing? So I guess this has to do with, uh, yeah, knowing what uh, what your life is about. What is the narrative that runs throughout the course of your life? You know, because I mean, like, you know, I'm sure we've all met people who have absolutely zero story to their entire life. Like, they, they end up in a position that has nothing to do with their prior experience. They have no idea how they ended up getting there. You know, I think uh, Peterson does have an example of that uh, that in his book with one of his clinical patients where she ended up in a position uh, working on some government board that helps to approve business contracts for, like, building contractors. But she's never been a contractor. She's never worked in the government, has no idea how to run a business, and has no business having anything to do with architecture, yet somehow ended up on this board. And it's, wow. like, it's like, okay, well... You know, now what? <laughs> How did you get to this point? No clue. There's just kind of no consistent path or yeah. steps in a way. And and not knowing who you are, I mean, that that can lead to disastrous effects once the inevitable chaos of life hits you. Because you yeah. have nothing to fall back on, right? It's all just been like, you know... A it's all just been whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm just kind of <laughs> jumping around to lily pad to yeah. lily pad, nothing really connecting them in together. And without having a coherent narrative to your life... It could be very difficult to understand how to cope with chaos, uh, and so, I will, yeah, and I'll say like a lot of these, they are initially hard, difficult to practice. Uh, just um, like for example, the first one: Do I know what I'm feeling at any particular moment? Like this is something that I've just tried to, like, integrate into my own like you know reflection on a day to day basis, and um, it's just it's just kind of helped me yeah understand why i'm reacting to certain situations and also to have i guess some compassion and for myself just to you know just understand what's what's my emotions essentially because mm -hmm. the better you understand it the more you can kind of feel more stable essentially so yeah because the emotions will happen almost instantaneously and they occur right like they occur far before reasoning ever occurs uh, Jonathan Haidt talks a lot about this, where, you know, the in emotion will precede reasoning. So you'll mm. have an emotional reaction to something. You'll be like, holy shit, I'm having an emotional reaction to something. And then you have to ask yourself why, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. use that to reason your way through it. It's like, wow, I'm feeling, you know, pretty upset about something. I'm not really sure what it is. Let me think back. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, there was that thing yesterday that really pissed me off. That's probably why I just snapped at this random person for no reason. Yeah. Yeah, I feel kind of like a dick now. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. If you know, if you know why, you can at least tolerate it and kind of like work through it a little. And yeah, yeah, and and consciously choose your actions rather than just yeah. having your emotions dictate that's them. That's the big one. Yeah, rather yeah. than going fully unconscious. So, um, in one more part of this pillar, Brandon writes: um, the art of noticing is noticing the feelings in my body, noticing my emotions during an encounter with someone, noticing patterns in my behavior that may be serving me, noticing what excites me and what drains me, noticing what the voice inside my head is truly, if it's truly my own or belongs to someone else, perhaps my mother. To notice, I have to be interested. I have to think the practice is worthwhile. I have to think there is value in knowing myself. I have to be willing to look at troublesome facts. I have to be convinced that long-term, I have much more to gain from consciousness than unconsciousness. Yeah. Now, the one that I really like is noticing whether the voice in my head is my own or someone else's. Because yeah. this connects with um, Freud's idea of the superego, which mm -hmm. is the moral 
basically the moral or our our conscience that tells us what we should or shouldn't do right so yeah. that can come from our a lot of it comes from our parents and yeah i mean a lot of times we can be confused as to whether this is something i want or is this is am i telling myself something that someone else would want for me so because there's a big big difference in that and so to be able to distinguish that i think yeah is, know where your programming comes from you know yeah be, be consciously aware of that and also choose that uh, i guess decide that being consciously aware of these things is better than not being consciously aware of them mm-hmm. i think that's mm-hmm. important as well i mean you have to want to have self-awareness in order to achieve it not just sort of say well i guess i'll just be self-aware <laughs> <laughs> Even though it's a difficult thing. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, if, if it's got to be sort of this, like, really grudging process at first, fine. But at yeah. least, you know, recognize that you're going to have more to gain from being a conscious individual and living an examined life rather than an unexamined one. You know, there's there, there's a lot of value there. So it's well worth it. The, sure. uh, the next one here is going to be the, uh, the practice of self-acceptance. So self-esteem is impossible without self-acceptance. You know the difference? Self-esteem is something that we experience, whereas self-acceptance is something that we do. Brandon defines self-acceptance as my refusal to be in, ad- or in an adversarial relationship with myself. To be self-accepting is to be on my own side, to be for myself. The first level of self-acceptance is the part of us that fights for our own life, even when we are in despair. If you're having suicidal thoughts, self-acceptance is what makes us pick up the phone and call for help. It is, in a way, a positive form of selfishness. And so- Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. On the second level of self-acceptance is our willingness to experience and make real to ourselves without denying or disowning our thoughts, feelings, desires, and actions as our own. The willingness to experience and accept our feelings helps by keeping them from having the last word on how or what we do. When we fully experience and accept negative feelings, we are able to let go of them. They have been allowed to have their say and they leave center stage. To accept is more than simply to acknowledge or admit. It is to experience, stand in the presence of, contemplate the reality of, absorb into our consciousness. So it kind of builds up, yeah, a sense of reflection. Definitely. So the third level of self-acceptance is going to be about being compassionate towards myself like a friend. So this kind of reminds me of rule two. Treat yourself yeah. as if you were someone you were responsible for helping. That's right. Yeah. In the Very old Petersonian true. Bible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, for example, if I do something I'm ashamed of, self-acceptance does not avoid reality or argues what is wrong is really okay, but looks into the context in which the action was taken. Self-acceptance wants to understand the why. It wants to know the reason why something that is wrong or improper felt sensible or appropriate or even necessary at the time. So we need to understand the internal factors that prompted the behavior. There is always some context in which the most offensive actions can have their own kind of sense to them, which does not mean they're justified, but they can at least be understood. So after I take responsibility for what I've done, I can dive deeper into the context. A good friend might say to me, this was unworthy of you. Now tell me, what made it feel like a good idea, or at least a defensible one? This is something we can say to ourselves. Now, of course, the... uh, the Kathy Newmans of the world might come around and say, So what you're saying is, we should just accept and embrace the worst parts of ourselves and just move on like nothing happened, eh? Isn't that what you're saying? Well, no. Well, no! That's not what I'm saying at all! So yeah, the uh, this is not the idea that, uh, you know, we're just taking the worst parts of our personality and just saying, Yep, 
I'm just an evil dick, and that's just how it is. But it is sort of acknowledging that, yeah, I was kind of an evil dick in that moment. I should probably work on that. But if you don't have that self-acceptance part of it, you're just going to deny it and be like, no, I wasn't an evil dick. And then nothing changes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if you don't accept or at least acknowledge what actually is going on, then there's yeah. going to be no impetus for change. And context is key. Like yeah. What, what was happening in the situation? What triggered the behavior or whatever? And getting a bigger kind of view of things. Yeah. Um, so self-acceptance is actually a prerequisite for change and improvement, partly because accepting doesn't necessarily mean liking. It also doesn't mean we cannot imagine or wish for changes or improvements. It means experiencing, without denial or avoidance, that a fact is a fact. For example, even though you might not like everything you see in the mirror, you can still say, right now, that's me, and I don't deny the fact, I accept it. And that is to respect reality. So it's kind of like a stepping stone to improvement. It's not... It's not just saying, you know, everything's okay and just, you know, denying things that we need to fix, mm-hmm. right? It's The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step kind yeah. of thing. But if you're just like, no, I'm not walking a thousand miles, fuck that. You know, it's, <laughs> it's never going to happen, right? Yeah. All right, so pillar number three. This is going to be the practice of self-responsibility. So with this, we recognize the importance of having a sense of control over our existence in order to feel competent, capable, and worthy of happiness. This requires a readiness to be accountable for one's actions and the attainment of their goals, which also means that they take responsibility for their life and well-being. Very, very important. Um, The practice of self-responsibility means being responsible for the achievement of your desires, your choices and actions, the level of consciousness you bring to your work and relationships, your behavior with other people, co-workers, associates, customers, spouse, children, and friends. It also means being responsible for how you prioritize your time. The quality of your communication, your health and fitness, your personal happiness, accepting and choosing the values by which you live, and lastly, raising your self-esteem. And I think this goes in opposition to just blaming other people or other factors or, you know, other things out there. It's more, you know, taking control. For yourself essentially yeah and if i had to put this into one sentence the best way i could probably put it would be that no one is coming to save you you're on your own you got to carry this burden you got to pick up your damn cross and bear it you know what i mean damn right because uh, at the end of the day there nobody is going to be responsible for you you know we're not kids anymore i mean if you're a kid obviously there's people responsible for you but <laughs> if you're a kid and listening to this podcast go watch cartoons or something <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what i mean this you know, it's too much swearing in this podcast for kids, I think. So. At the end of the day, it's up to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, if they want to listen to it, I don't care. <laughs> One extra download. <laughs> yeah. So, self-responsibility is the idea that nobody owes us fulfillment of our wishes. It's up to us to discover our desires and how to satisfy them. It's also us up to us to develop and carry through on our action plan. If I'm unwilling to take responsibility for the attainment of my desires, they're not really desires, more like daydreams. So for self-expressed desire to be taken seriously, I must be prepared to realistically answer the question, what am I willing to do to get what I want? What sacrifices am I willing to make? Important questions to ask, yeah. Um, So in regards to being responsible for the level of consciousness you bring to your relationships, it involves the choice of your companions and the degree of awareness you bring to any encounter. So you can ask yourself, am I fully present in my encounters with others? Am I present to what is being said? 
do I think about the implications of my statements? Do I notice how others are affected by what I say and do? Yeah, this is, I think, important to pay attention to as well. I mean, when you're uh, in a group, it's important to, I guess, pay attention to the facial expressions from people around you so you can at least mm. see how people are responding to what you're saying and trying to speak directly to individuals rather than uh, more generally to a group because then I think it's it's easier to make a connection and really ensure that what you're saying is being reflected back to you. Yeah, the, the feedback you're mm -hmm. getting. And also eye contact is really important. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, we're, we are responsible for how we speak and how we listen, along with the promises we keep and fail to keep. We need to keep in mind the way we rationally and irrationally deal with things. We avoid responsibility when we try to blame others for our actions. Be, being self-responsible does not mean that we don't suffer from accidents or the malevolence or faults of others or that we are responsible for absolutely everything that happens to us. We need to be able to distinguish between the things we have control over and the things we don't. If we hold ourselves responsible for matters beyond our control, we put our self-esteem in danger, since we eventually we will eventually fall short of our expectations. If we deny responsibility for others that are within our control, oh, I, sorry, if we deny responsibility for matters that are within our control, we will again risk lowering our self-esteem. Yeah, so it's important to take, uh, yeah, know what it is that you can control and know what it is that you can't. And then hopefully have the wisdom to be able to distinguish between those two. Yeah, because I have this, I've had this automatic um, thought process where I tend to blame myself mm -hmm. if somebody's unhappy with somebody, something like in the house, or it's just a, like a constant self-blaming um, mechanism. Whereas I've been, you know, working hard to distinguish that, and that's helped me. That's what's kind of a big, 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 big part of my therapy as well, too. Yeah. Just trying to, yeah, distinguish what I'm responsible for and what I'm not. And what are others pe other people's reactions and how that kind of all comes together. Yeah, because I, I think it's, it's pretty easy to see what a lack of responsibility looks like. But I think having too much responsibility to the point where you're responsible for things you can't control, that can be just as detrimental to you. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that you don't control and thinking that you do, while being a little bit narcissistic in some regards... Uh, because, you know, you're thinking you can control all this stuff you can't. It can also really drive you down because you can't control the outcome, right? So trying mm. to think that you can, you're obviously going to blame yourself if it doesn't go right. But if you're able to kind of step back a little bit, being like, yeah, I can't be responsible for that because it's out of my control, then regardless of what the outcome is, you probably won't hold yourself personally accountable for it. Mm, it's more rational. And if you keep telling things keep telling yourself certain things are your fault that they're not. It's just going to accumulate more and just build up more anxiety and depression, I would say. Yep, self-resentment, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so pillar four is the practice of self-assertiveness. Self-assertiveness self means honoring our desires, needs, and values while seeking appropriate ways to express them. The opposite is hiding ourselves and avoiding confrontation with those who have different values or to please placate or manipulate someone, or simply to belong. Go so along to like, get along, toe the line, that kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of sacrificing your own autonomy. Yep, sacrificing your values for the sake of group membership. Mm -hmm. Ooh, welcome to the Democrat Party. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I try to not try not to be so political. I just can't help myself sometimes. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Self-assertion does not mean being uh, belligerent or inappropriately aggressive. It doesn't mean pushing out, 
you know, to the front of the line or knocking other people over. It doesn't mean upholding my own rights while being blind or indifferent to everybody else's. It simply means the willingness to stand up for myself, to be who I am openly, to treat myself with respect in all human encounters. It means the refusal to fake my personhood to be liked. So... That's a big price to pay, yeah. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> yeah, get, giving up your very sense of personhood in order to m maintain some kind of group membership. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds like the, uh, you know, the deal with the devil, so to speak. I will give you the world as long as you screw over everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, probably not a deal you want to take. And I liked what it said about also, um, it doesn't mean belligerence or just, you know, yes. being too aggressive and arrogant. Because that, that stuff for me, like, really really bugs me for sure exactly so. i mean there, there is a sort of a limit to uh how much you can assert to yourself yeah you know polite, crossing that line yeah they call it polite society for a reason you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean it's it's not you can't just be a dick and be like hey i'm, I'm just you know expressing myself man <laughs> it's like, yeah that, that's not really what we're talking about here so yeah, it's yeah. Uh, the idea of living authentically to speak and act from our most innermost convictions and feelings as a way of life Appropriate self-assertiveness pays attention to context. The forms of self-expression appropriate while playing on the floor of, with a child are a lot different than, you know, might be appropriate in a staff meeting, for example. Like, I guess if, uh, I guess when that, that example you had in there, I was thinking of, you know, being in a staff meeting and someone's kind of getting all heated and you're like, oh, do you need a nap? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not going to go over so well, you know? Probably not. And at the end of the day, if, if your kid is kind of throwing a bit, or t bit of a temper tantrum, threatening him with a write-up on his permanent record <laughs> might not be the most might effective. not be the most effective either so you know pick your uh, pick your poison right uh let's see here so to respect the difference is not to sacrifice one's authenticity but merely to stay reality focused in every context there will be appropriate and inappropriate forms of self-expression and it's up to you to know the difference all right sure Sometimes self-assertiveness is manifested through volunteering an idea or paying a compliment, sometimes through polite silence that implies disagreement, sometimes by refusing to smile at a tasteless joke. In work situations, one cannot necessarily voice all one's thoughts, and it is not necessary to do so. Boundaries, basically. What is necessary is to know what one thinks and to remain real. While what is appropriate self-expression varies with the context. In every situation, there is a choice between being authentic or inauthentic, real or unreal. If we do not want to face this, of course, we will deny that we have such a choice. We will assert that we are helpless, but the choice is always there. So the first and basic act of self-assertion is the assertion of consciousness. This entails the choice to see, to think, to be aware, to send the light of consciousness outwards to the toward the world and inwards towards our own being. To ask questions is an act of self-assertion. To challenge authority is an act of self-assertion. To think for oneself and to stand by what one thinks is the root of self-assertion. And it should not be confused with mindless rebelliousness. Self-assertiveness without consciousness is not really self-assertiveness, it's more like drunk driving. <laughs> but the assertiveness asks... Uh, Self-assertiveness asks that we not only oppose what we deplore, but that we live and express our values, which means it is closely related to integrity, the sixth pillar, which we'll get into a little bit later. Self-assertiveness entails bringing ourselves into the world and bringing our aspirations into reality. One of the great self-delusions is to think of oneself as an idealist while not pursuing one's values in reality. And for me, I think... Like in our current society, self-assertiveness can be a difficult one to 
actually practice because, you know, let's face it, a lot of people are really easily offended by certain things and we've got, there's new rules to the game. Let's, yeah. let's And they say. change all the time and they change retroactively. Right? Yeah. So what, what was fine today, you know, in 10 years is not fine. And then they'll sort of backdate it and be like, well, you said that 10 years ago. And it's like, yeah, but it was fine then. It's yeah. like, nope, you're still crucified. And the problem, yeah, that that's the problem is dealing with the blowback at times, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there's a lot of self censorship that will come into this, right? Where it's yeah, uh, we're going to restrain ourselves from speaking because not only do we have to think, is this going to offend anybody now? It's like, is this going to offend anybody in ten years? Right, and, and that's a really difficult way to live, you know, because we we have to be able to speak the truth to be able to think, right? So the people that want to censor what it is that you say, at the end of the day, they want to change what it is you think. Because if you're not allowed to discuss these ideas, it's much safer to just adopt their damn ideas, and that's uh, no way to go through life. Yeah, and if you can't discuss it, you can't figure out what's the actual proper way. Yeah, suss out that nuance a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like someone has an idea, it's like, okay, well, I guess if we were to just ban the idea from public discourse, the idea doesn't go away, it just gets driven underground. Where, yeah. you know, the, the sunlight of, uh, I guess, reasoning and truth is not allowed to be shone on it, and then it'll just get worse. And more pathological, mm -hmm. the, the you know, the less it's allowed to be discussed, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we see a lot of this with people trying to deplatform speakers and ban people from campuses, like, you know, like the, how Ben Shapiro they had to spend six hundred thousand dollars on security so that this sort of like milk toast mainstream Jew could come talk about normal conservative ideas. He's like the least controversial person on the planet. But they're like, nope, there's going to be all these riots and stuff, so we have to spend six hundred thousand dollars to protect him from. I guess Antifa and all these other crazy left-wing activists. And, uh, you know, he was there like a year and a half prior and there was no problem. So it seems to be a problem that's getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, I think a lot of it's probably fueled by the media. But that's, again, a topic for another time. So the second way to, to practice self-assertiveness properly is to be committed to our right to exist. This proceeds from the knowledge that my life does not belong to others and that I am not here on earth to live up to someone else's expectations. To many people, this is a terrifying responsibility. It means their life is in their own hands. It means that mom and dad and other authority figures cannot be counted on as protectors. It means they are responsible for their own existence and for generating their own sense of security. Also, to practice self-assertiveness consistently, I need the conviction that my ideas and wants are important. Unfortunately, this conviction is often lacking. When we were young, many of us received signals conveying that what we thought and felt or wanted was not important. We were taught, in effect, what you want isn't important. What's important is what others want. Perhaps we were intimidated by accusation of selfishness when we attempted to stand up for ourselves. It often takes courage to honor what we want and what we want to fight for it. For many people, self-surrender and self-sacrifice are far easier. They do not require the integrity and responsibility that intelligent selfishness requires. Yeah, so, uh, and that's a, a good distinction there, intelligent selfishness. You know, because we all know what selfishness is, but I think intelligent selfishness is a good way to encapsulate the idea of practicing appropriate self-assertiveness. You know, because I guess if, if nobody was self-assertive, nobody would know what anyone wants. And we, <laughs> so, you know, I think, I think there's a, it is important for us to be uh, self-assertive in that mm -hmm. regard because mm -hmm. it does play a large role in not just having a good idea, but developing it, fighting for it and working to win supporters for it and doing everything in one's power to see it manifested in reality. 
Without appropriate self-assertiveness, we are spectators, not participants. Lastly, self-assertiveness entails the willingness to confront rather than evade the challenges of life and to strive for mastery. When we expand the boundaries of our ability to cope, we expand self-efficacy and self-respect. When we commit ourselves to new areas of learning, when we take on tasks that stretch us, we raise personal power. We assert our existence. When we are attempting to understand something and hit a wall, it is an act of self-assertiveness to persevere. When we undertake to acquire new skills, absorb new knowledge, extend the reach of our mind across unfamiliar territory, when we commit ourselves to moving up to a higher level of competence, we are practicing self-assertiveness. When we learn how to be in an intimate relationship without abandoning our sense of self, when we learn how to be kind without being self-sacrificing, when we learn how to cooperate with others without betraying our standards and convictions, we are practicing self-assertiveness. Yeah, because you don't want to be uh, a martyr, so to speak. You know what or I mean? Or a doormat. Or a doormat. <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, fine. I'll just do what everybody else wants, man. Like, I'm not going to do anything for myself. Yeah. And it's like, no, that's not really what you want to do. You want to be able to assert your own needs in such a way that they're not interfering with other people and in such a way that you're still able to help other people but not in such a way that you're sort of completely abandoning all of your own needs and wants just for the sake of other people. And I think that goes back mm. to the idea of being a little bit virtue signaling. Be like, well, I just, I sacrifice myself for everybody all the time with absolutely no limits. It's like, that's not really that admirable. You probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> you know, but I think maybe yeah. that's, I think that's probably what would drive people to behave that way, right? It's like, well, I don't really know what I want, so I'll just do what everybody else wants. And then if my life sucks, I'll just, you know, blame it on the fact that I'd never do anything for myself. Wait a minute. <laughs> it's a bad idea. It's a bad sure. idea. Don't you, do that. You still got to obviously care for others, but care for yourself in the long term, for sure. Yeah, because the only way you the only way you can effectively care for other people is if you have first cared for yourself. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. So, uh, pillar number five, the practice of living purposefully. So, to live without purpose is to live at the mercy and luck of luck or accidents without our own initiative to plan a defined course. This makes us drifters because our orientation to life is reactive rather than proactive. To live purposely is to use our strengths to achieve our chosen goals, like the goal of studying, of raising a family, of earning a living, starting a business, solving a scientific problem, sustaining a happy romantic relationship. Uh, our goals lead us forward, call us to utilize our abilities and invigorate our existence. The main idea is that if life is impossible, Without goal fulfillment, impossible on every level of evolution from the amoeba to the human being. The alternative to goal fulfillment is passivity and aimlessness. Living purposefully is living productively, an essential part of making ourselves competent to life. Productivity is the act of supporting our existence by translating our thoughts into reality, of setting our goals and working on, working for their achievement, of bringing knowledge, goods, or services into existence. Self-responsible men and women do not pass to others the burden of supporting their existence. What matters is mainly a person's choice to use their productive abilities, not the degree. It is, the vi it is vital to find work that offers an outlet for one's intelligence cap and capabilities if, if the opportunity exists. So again, it's not depending on other people. It's the idea that, yeah, you have... You have good ideas, and you should probably act on them and try to manifest them in reality. Yep, so live, live your own life purposefully rather mm -hmm. than living somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And being 
um, being leaving things to chance, you know, and random other random forces. <laughs> yeah, have a have some kind of direction for God's sake. <laughs> All right, fundamental efficacy isn't created in a vacuum; it must be generated and expressed through some specific tasks that have been successfully mastered. Achievements don't prove our worth, but the process of achieving is how we develop our effectiveness and success in living. In order to realize our goals, there must be some specific to assist in monitoring our progress. Compare our intentions with results, changes our strategy in response to new information, and be responsible for the results we bring about. Yeah, so figure out ways how to... Monitor how your to, progress to those goals? Yeah, how to monitor your progress, see how how the current plan is working and mm -hmm. whether that needs to be changed or adjusted and the feedback you're getting. Yeah. Um, so in order to live purposefully, we can focus on these questions. What am I trying to achieve? How am I trying to achieve it? Why do I think these means are appropriate? Does this feedback from the environment convey that I am succeeding or failing? Is there new information that I need to consider? Do I need to make adjustments in my course or in my strategy or in my practices? Do my goals and purposes need to be rethought? Thus, to live purposely means to live at a high level of consciousness. Yeah, so like the, again, we were talking about this before, about the purpose and the methodology of this podcast, saving Western civilization from itself <laughs> by discussing the important ideas of the day and how they can apply to your life. So again, kind of a broad goal. And I guess it's uh, it would be kind of challenging to monitor it, <laughs> considering Western civilization is probably something that's going to expand far beyond our lifetime. But, uh, you know, I think these ideas are still things that need to be discussed. And I guess the only way that we can really uh, monitor how far the ideas are spreading would be through things like the analytics uh, on the podcast, which seem to be going pretty good. I think we're up to maybe around 300 downloads or something, which mm -hmm. is pretty decent considering we've only had four episodes, so... Starting to get a little bit of traction on that, which is good, and uh, hopefully we can uh, spread that farther. So on that note, uh, if you guys do like this, please like, share, subscribe, and do all that other social media stuff that lets your friends know that you find this valuable. So living purposefully and productively also requires the practice of self-discipline, which is the ability to organize our behavior over time in the service of a specific task. It also requires delaying immediate gratification to attain a long-term goal. Self-discipline is also the ability to think, plan, and live long-range. Or long-term, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, but a pr purposeful life does not mean living without time or space for rest, relaxation, recreation, random, or carefree activities. That's some great alliteration there, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> what matters is that these uh, activities are being chosen consciously, knowing that they are safe and appropriate. So I know, uh, yeah, before we were mentioning video games and uh, as much as I love them as much as the next person, but we got to be very conscious about how much time we plug into them because it does obviously come an opportunity cost associated with any pastime. Too much time in a virtual world definitely comes at the expense of other potentially more worthwhile uses of my time. And a good rule of thumb that I use is if the battery runs out on my PS4 controller, I'll put it down and go do something else. But uh, mm -hmm. even then, I mean, that's still like a, a pretty long amount of gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's already dead i kind of should probably put it down as well as feel a little bit of guilt for not doing something more productive but uh you know some, uh, sometimes on your day off it's it's good to just blast through a few levels you know yeah the point is yeah just of course being aware of it and you know it's good that you you set something up mm. so when you know oh speaking of video games you're uh you got ps plus right yeah 
you know they had uh, they gave away Black Ops Three. Oh really? For free, and I can I can kind of see why. This <laughs> it was so stupid playing through this game. I couldn't believe it. Like one of the like they have all these like cybernetic abilities. Like one of them is to release these like nano fireflies that go and like hunt down all the enemies. And I'm like, okay, so you guys just wanted to put fucking spells in Call of Duty, and wow. that, and this is fireflies that go and attack your enemies. Like I don't know who the hell came up with these stupid ideas, but it was really dumb, and I can yeah. see why they had to give it away for free. But uh, again, this is a, a series that's been going on for however long how many iterations of the same game could you do without trying to switch yeah. it up so i can appreciate the creativity but i still thought it was kind of silly <laughs> yeah maybe they're lowering the skill ceiling a, a little bit yeah <laughs> fireflies come yeah. on i stopped after black ops one <laughs> to tell you the truth yeah the yeah. multiplayer was just too chaotic for yeah. me and i, I i'd agree yeah i think uh i think battlefield's better oh way more. better <laughs> yeah. you know and then if uh, if you really want to step it up you guys should check out arma you know, that's where the uh, the real sim stuff is. <laughs> not, not a lot of fun, but it's uh, it's very, very realistic. Anyway, back to the uh, actual topic we're discussing here. Pillar number six, the practice of personal integrity. Take it away, Tim. All right. So Brandon defies, defines integrity as the integration of ideals, convictions, standards, beliefs, and behavior. When our behavior matches with our declared values, when ideals and practice match, we have integrity. Before integrity comes the need to look at principles of behavior, moral convictions, about what it is and what is not appropriate, which are judgments of right and wrong action. When we behave in ways that go against our judgment of what is right, we lose respect for ourselves. If this becomes habitual, we trust ourselves less or cease to trust ourselves at all. Yeah, now, you may be able to lie to other people, which, by the way, you probably shouldn't, but you can't lie to yourself, at least not for very long. And you're going to be paying a very, very steep price for those lies. If you've been paying that price for years, it may be time to cut up that credit card of soul-annihilating self-deception and orient yourself towards the truth. Trust nice. me, you'll, you'll respect yourself a lot more for it once, uh, once you do. Well said. Fundamentally, personal integrity entails such questions as, Am I honest, reliable, and trustworthy? Do I keep my promises? Do I do the things I say I admire, and do I avoid the things I denounce? Am I fair and just in my dealings with others? Yeah, don't say anything that makes you feel weak. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is something that you'll, you'll kind of learn to feel it after yeah. a while. Like, when you say something and immediately you're like, oh, yeah, I don't really believe that, yeah. or those aren't my words, or that's not true, you end up feeling weak. And if you can, I guess, attune yourself to that feeling it's much easier to learn to speak the truth. I mean, speaking the truth is bloody hard enough as it is, but the least you can do is stop lying. You know, sure. especially to yourself. You know, I mean, other people, I mean, you could probably get away with that for a little bit longer before it catches up with you and destroys your reputation, but if you're doing it with yourself, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> so at times we may find ourselves caught in a conflict between different values that clash in this particular context, and the solution may be far from self-evident. Integrity doesn't guarantee that we're going to make the best choice. It only asks that our effort is authentic in finding the best choice. That uh, we stay conscious, stay grounded in our knowledge, and call on our best rational clarity. Take responsibility with our choices and the consequences, and refusing to escape into a mental fog. So consider what a lapse in integrity means. This can be in the form of, if I act against what I think is right, if my actions clash with expressed values... Then I will act against my judgment. I betray my mind. Hypocrisy is inherently self-invalidating. 
It is a mind rejecting itself. It corrupts our sense of self and damages us in a way no external disapproval or rejection can. That's heavy. A yeah. mind rejecting itself. That's a big deal. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, where it's sort of like a... I'm trying to think of some of those old Windows errors you'd get where the programming would be so self-contradictory the whole system just crashes. You know, it's like a fatal error or whatever that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Those errors we used to get back in the day. Uh, Windows 95. Windows 95, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blue screen of death. No, hardware doesn't like it. But uh, yeah, yeah. Corrupt, corrupting our sense of self and damaging us yeah. in a way that no external disapproval or rejection can. Because I mean, I guess you can't really get away from your own rejection. That's what I was just going to say. You, can't, you yeah. can't get away from it. Like if you're selling yourself snake oil, you can't just up and move to the next town to rip off a bunch of unsuspecting yeah. rubes in the same way you did in the first town. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you're carrying those lies with you everywhere you go, and it'll just eat you yeah. up. Unless you've made yourself so numb, or Ooh. your avoidance and repression is so high that yeah. you just don't care anymore. Yeah, there are pharmaceutical not... solutions. If uh, <laughs> if you need to be able to cope with your own lies, I mean, you know, you can become an alcoholic, or cocaine, I think, is or heroin. These are pretty effective strategies if you want to really... This is bad advice. Let's move it's on. It's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, if I tell my children about honesty but lie to my friends and family, if I become righteous and indignant when people do not keep their promises to me but ignore my commitments to others, if I ask for salary sacrifices on the ground of hard times and then give myself a gigantic bonus, then I may evade my hypocrisy and produce many rationalizations. The fact is that I'll hurt my self-esteem in a way that no rationalization can resolve. If I'm uniquely situated to raise my self-esteem, then I'm uniquely situated to lower it. Yeah, and that ties into our yeah self-management essentially. So, this last part here, this is a pretty this is pretty important, guys. So, one of the great self-deceptions is to tell oneself only I will know, only I will know I am a liar, only I will know I deal unethically with people who trust me, only. I will know the lack of desire to keep my promise. The implication is that my judgment is not important and that only the judgment of others counts. But when it comes to matters of self-esteem, I have more to fear from my own judgment than from anyone else's. In the inner courtroom of my mind, mine is the only judgment that counts. My ego, the I at the center of my consciousness, is the judge from whom there is no escape. I can avoid people who have learned the humiliating truth about me, I, I cannot avoid myself. The essence of guilt, whether major or minor, is moral self-reproach. I did wrong when it was possible for me to do otherwise. Guilt always carries the implication of choice and responsibility, whether or not we are consciously aware of it. For this reason, it is imperative that we be clear on what is and what is not in our power what is and what is not a breach of integrity. Otherwise, we run the risk of accepting guilt inappropriately. Yeah, so the essence of guilt being that uh, implication of choice and responsibility. It's like, not only was I responsible for making the, the right choice, but I definitely chose to make the wrong one. You know mm. what I mean? Like, if... Uh, I guess I'm trying to think of an example of, like, driving down a dark road and then, I don't know, hitting a deer or something that you didn't see... To the last yeah. minute, you're probably going to feel a lot less guilty about that than if it was the middle of the day and you could see it for two miles down the road. Yeah. And you drive and you just smack right into it. You're like, well, I guess I could have avoided that deer, but I definitely chose not to. That's going to make yeah. you feel a lot worse than if it's just something comes out of nowhere that you couldn't see, you had no responsibility for, and you didn't really have a choice. 
Yeah, Do you yeah, know what I mean? for sure. I've actually got a, a real life story that happened a while ago. Um, basically, I was going out to the movie um, with a buddy of mine, and we were driving around looking for a parking space, mm. and we were going around for 20 minutes. So finally, I found a space, and it was right in front of this house, and my car was basically blocking their driveway. Ooh. And I saw their car, but I saw like I thought I saw pylons, so I wasn't sure if they were actually gonna leave or anything. So we went for the movie, and then I came back. I had a parking ticket, and they wrote me a note saying, "Thanks for ruining my family's Sunday. Uh, watch where you park next time." Um, I could have had you towed, but I didn't. Oh, and he did you a favor too. <laughs> yeah. That's so bad. Yeah, yeah. So oh. I felt horrible about that. Yeah, and that sucks. I. Yeah, I was in shame too, and I wasn't going to go talk to him. But I thought of, you know, trying to do something to make it, you know, to balance the um, equation mm. and, you know, do something for them. And a few days later, I, I bought them some gift certificates to the movie, and I approached the um, the person, the owner who owned the house. And, uh, yeah, I told him who I was, and he appreciated me coming up to him and apologizing him. And he said I was very honorable, actually. Nice. And, yeah, and I gave him the tickets, and he wasn't almost going to take them, but but then I was like, come on, here, it's for you, you're in family, and he, and he took it, and he was really a nice guy, actually, and he, um, it, it had a good ending. So. Yeah, that's awesome. That's yeah. A, that's a good story. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's the thing, like, when you know, you, you gotta listen to your hunches, and listen to when your mind tells you this is probably going to be a bad idea. You should really, you know, pay attention to that and yeah. help avoid future catastrophe and yeah. guilt and such. Pay, uh, pay your debts. Your soul will be forever grateful for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, like, otherwise, I mean, that'd be something you'd have to carry around for a long time. I mean, like, you know, I, I was kind of a dick to these people and, you know, I didn't do anything about it, even though I, I probably could have done something, anything. And, yeah. And, and you ended up doing that. So then, you know, you're not going to be... Uh, yeah, and the fact that he had some mercy on me i kind of wanted to reinforce that and you know yeah because I, I guess if if he did have you towed and you had to go through all that hassle you kind of well i guess the the score is settled yeah exactly you know what <laughs> I mean? it's, it's settled in a negative way that like we're yeah. both more pissed off than we were before this but now we can yeah. kind of work through it and yeah 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 exactly. yeah that's a good call so uh one practical way to prime our minds to aim towards a higher healthier self-esteem is the completion of a sentence uh such as living consciously to means uh, living consciously to me means blank. blank. Yeah. If I bring 5% more awareness to my activities, blank. If I pay more attention to how I deal with people, blank. Self-acceptance to me means blank. If I accepted responsibility for my own, my own existence. So the idea is basically to use the sense stem and then come up with as many answers as you can for like, you know, five minutes. And, um, I did practice this, um, for a little while and it does help you, yeah, become more conscious of your actions and, um, you know, gear your behavior towards that, you know, higher self-esteem. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So just to, uh, recap a little bit here, uh, self-esteem in one sentence would be our reputation with ourselves. You know, we have a reputation with everybody else. Everybody else has a reputation with us. But this is something that's very internal. And it's obviously not something that you can get away from or something that you can cheat with because you're the one that knows all of your dirty secrets and all of the choices that you've ever made up until this point. So what is your reputation with yourself and how are you going to improve that? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, hopefully through this episode, you've um, caught on to some methods 
that you can use to to raise your self-esteem and start to you know um, balance that <laughs> essentially and um, also recognize maybe some of the things that you already do that um, that help that yeah that's important so i mean like you don't want to be i guess backtracking and going over stuff you've already done uh it's much easier to focus on the things that aren't going so well so that you can bring mm -hmm. everything up uh level mm. so again the six pillars we got living consciously self-acceptance taking personal responsibility being self-assertive living purposefully and having personal integrity so what about some of the uh the costs associated with failing to do this so i'd say sense of emptiness instability it could bring on depression and anxiety without even knowing why um high sense of guilt I suppose, and um, probably more negative life outcomes in general. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and just more negative behaviors and thoughts that we're not aware of where they stem from, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's bringing about that certain awareness of how we how we talk to ourselves and yeah. knowing what our what our moral convictions and principles are, and how we can better align ourselves to those. So we can reduce our own suffering and hopefully the suffering, the suffering of other people. Yes. <laughs> there you go. The main goal. So yeah, yeah that uh, would be some of the benefits to improving self-esteem and then obviously yeah, having the, uh, the better life outcomes there. Now, one of the things that I'm sure you guys have all been wondering about would be this self-esteem movement that we've seen growing since, I guess, the, uh, the late 80s and early 90s, where I think what had happened was is, I guess, educators had kind of looked and said, okay, well... Who has the best life outcomes and who has the worst life outcomes? It's like, well, these people that have really good self-esteem, they have really good life outcomes. And these people that don't, well, they don't, they don't do so well. So what's the solution? Well, we just got to raise everyone's self-esteem. And it's like, uh, well, I, I think it's a little more complicated than that. There's a few pillars and those like, no, 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 no. We're not going to do any of that. We're just going to raise people's self-esteem. That means participation trophies for everybody. Everyone's a winner. Everyone is special. And we wonder why we end up with a generation of fucking narcissistic snowflakes. <laughs> so just more methods of pseudo pseudo self-esteem of course it's pseudo self-esteem is a great way to put it it's sort of like saying well how do we get taller people it's like well all the tall people are on basketball teams so let's just put everyone on basketball teams and they'll get like two feet taller that'll do it that'll do it it's like well no it's like well, well what about you know why are people short? It's like, well, if they're malnourished when they're kids, then, you know, they don't grow up so well. It's like, all right, well, let's just give people as much food as possible and they'll get taller. Yeah, it's like, yeah. no, they're just going to get fatter. Yeah, it's more of a focus on the externals yes. and lack of respect for reality. Putting the damn cart before the horse is, is what it, it is. So, anyway, uh, I want to thank you guys for tuning into today's episode. This was, again, episode five here on the Sorted Skeptics on Self-Esteem. If you guys have any questions or comments, Please leave them in the box below, and we'll try to uh, address those as quickly as we can. Was there anything else you wanted to add there, Tim? Um, I just thought it was interesting how a lot of these tied into a lot of principles Peterson talks about, yep. essentially. So. Well, I think one of the reasons he's been so popular is because this stuff has been lacking for so long, and everyone's like, of course, this makes so much sense. You know, mm -hmm. we got to sort our bloody selves out. And if no one's talking about it, how is it supposed to be, you know, circulated in the culture, essentially? Too, exactly. Right? So, so, yeah. I think that's... Episode 5 down. Yes, sir. All right. Well, anyway, we'll see you guys next time on the, uh, the next episode, and we're going to try to have it up most uh, Ricky Tick for you guys. So, anyway, thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening.